Today's episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. Sign up with betonline.ag today and score a 75% bonus to use on this week's loaded betting board. Simply use promo code BOXINGRANT and up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook bonuses will be added to your bankroll instantly. BetOnline posts the most odds on every major sport. Football, basketball, baseball, boxing. You'll never miss an opportunity to get in on the action at BetOnline. Once again, that's promo code Boxing Rant for your exclusive 75% bonus. Sign up at betonline.ag today because you can. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. Boxing knowledge dropped by Kenny and Vin. It's the sweet science by the diehard fan. Manny and Floyd, Triple G and the rest. Like an overhand right from Crocodilev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 70 of the tale of the tape boxing podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. It was an action-packed evening from Los Angeles, California, as Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Mares did the deal at the Staples Center for the vacant WBA featherweight title, and Sugar Shane Mosley in a bizarre promotion squared off against Ricardo Mayorga in a rematch of a fight long, long forgotten. But before we get to all the action from this past Saturday night, just a few announcements. Change is in the air here at the Boxing Rant. But I think all the changes that are coming down the pipe, I think all of you diehard boxing fans and loyal listeners of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast are really going to enjoy all of this. So starting next week, new episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast will come to you every Monday and Thursday from now on. Okay? The NFL season is upon us. Professional football here in the States is about to go full swing in full effect, and I am launching a brand new podcast called The Redskins Rant at redskinsrant.com. Basically, the perspective of this diehard Washington Redskins fans. Now, I know some of you listeners out there probably uh, are, are laughing at the fact that I have to, you know, live through the misery of being a Washington Redskins fan, but it's okay. I'm a diehard fan, and I'm going to be launching this new podcast, Redskins Rant, on my network of podcasts, Sports Rant Radio. So that's why the tale of the tape will move forward from here on out, Monday and Thursday from now on. There have been significant changes here at the Boxing Rant, and I really, really look forward to the new Monday's and Thursdays. Um, Mondays will be the post-fight edition of the Tale of the Tape. Thursdays 
will be the preview edition for the weekend. And then, you know, I'd like to thank Al Heyman um, for throwing in boxing on Tuesdays. So we got something nestled in between there with the PBC's launch on Fox Sports 1. But I appreciate all of the loyal listeners of the Boxing Rant, the Tale of the Tape, Sports Rant Radio Podcasts for sticking with us as we move on to bigger and better things. The Boxing Rant is expanding to video. Currently, we do have a YouTube channel, The Boxing Rant. You can find episodes of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast um, as you would find them on iTunes. But there's no actual video of the podcast performance. So starting this weekend, I'll be posting fight previews, fighter profiles, countdowns, in-depth analysis, fighter breakdowns, um, anything the diehard boxing fan could possibly imagine will be on the Boxing Rant YouTube channel and some great new video content is coming soon. And I'm really, really looking forward to this. This is going to be a great new chapter in the direction of Sports Rant Radio and specifically the Boxing Rant. So stay tuned to social media for the updates um, at the Boxing Rant on Twitter. And if you haven't found our Facebook page or our Google Plus page, just search The Boxing Rant on Facebook and Google+. And I'll also have links posted in the show notes at theboxingrant.com backslash podcast. And you will find the updates about the latest, the greatest, the newest, the bravest podcasts in all the land, and great new video content from The Boxing Rant on all of our social media platforms. So, won't you rant with us? Please do. You've all been loyal listeners, and I really, really appreciate it. If you get the chance and you listen to the show on iTunes, leave us a review. We've gotten some really, really flattering reviews from a lot of our loyal listeners um, over in the United Kingdom, um, in Sweden, and throughout Europe, uh, where there's a loyal uh, listener base of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, and it's much appreciated indeed. So let's go ahead and get down to business to the fights from this past weekend. Leo Santa Cruz versus Abner Mares, live from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, for the vacant WBA featherweight title. Yeah, that just popped out of nowhere, didn't it? But they fought for it nonetheless. And you know what? For the third time involving six different fighters, believe it or not, well, I mean, the thing is, like, you can actually believe it because this is how the PBC has been operating but we've had three fights, six different fighters fighting for what the ringside announcer says, the featherweight championship. Now, I get it. You get it because we understand the sanctioning bodies and the four major ones. We understand who is who, who the featherweight champions are. We get all that. But the PBC doesn't give a shit about us. So doesn't it just come off and strike you as a bit confusing to the casual fan that they so desperately want to sleep with um, because now they're like, hold on a second. So there's six featherweight. Eh, how is it a tournament? What is going on here for the featherweight championship? But um, yeah, let's go ahead and get right to all of the action from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California in front of 13,000 Boxing fans, the line in the sand was drawn, and they were calling it the battle for 
Los Angeles for Mexican boxing pride as the former three-division champion Abner Mares looked to rebound after some pretty mundane performances post-first-round flatlining from Johnny Gonzalez. Um, you know, he was eager, and he was ready to go. And as we would come to find out rather quickly in this fight, Abner Mares, he uh, was a big ball of energy and was ready to rock and roll. So let me just go ahead and type this little we are live on the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast here on theboxingrant.com. You can find us on Spreaker, broadcasting live, streaming live. Check us out on Facebook, Google+, Instagram, and, of course, Twitter, at Kenny Keith Jr. and at The Boxing Rant. So, without further ado, we get to the fight that was. And that is Leo Santa Cruz versus Abner Morris for the vacant WBA featherweight title. The first round, Mares shoots out of a cannon. He's relentless and clearly trying to send a message to Santa Cruz. He keeps coming, and Santa Cruz can only keep Mares off of him. He is weathering the storm, but he's also complaining about rabbit punches. A whole bunch of punches. Punches in bunches thrown in the first round. 157 punches to be exact between the two fighters. Mares tossing out 85 of them. First round goes to Mares. We head to the second. Mares continues the pressure. As Santa Cruz is able to create some distance after Mares stops for a breather. But everything Santa Cruz is doing is reactionary. Which tells me that he is getting beat. Because if he's forcing the action, you know. It's Leo Santa Cruz's fight. Can Mares keep up this pace? That is yet to be seen. We head to the third round. Mares keeps moving fast to open this round. But in the middle of the third, Santa Cruz is jabbing, centering, and at distance. He's peppering the jabs at Mares. Mares tries to fire back, but the fighters result in a heated exchange to close the third. Mares punches do not seem to be hurting Santa Cruz. An accidental headbutt has both fighters with little dripping cuts. Head to the fourth round, and Mares is bleeding pretty consistently from his head now. Santa Cruz looks like he wants to get in a rhythm, but he can't because Mares is moving well. In evading Santa Cruz's attempts to get in the way of the come forward style. The problem is that Santa Cruz isn't fighting a cab driver who's just standing there in front of him. To just mow over. So we head to the fifth round, but this is where the tables begin to turn. And turn they did. Santa Cruz is pressing forward. Mares moves away. But then in spurts, he crouches down and shoots forward. Santa Cruz seems to be timing this now and answers the attack with a good combination. Santa Cruz is gaining confidence and looks to be in really good. But Mares is laying back towards the end of the round and is showing signs of that initial onslaught and the possibility that he may be a bit winded. Mares is leaning in on Santa Cruz in the sixth, but looks sloppy and tired. Santa Cruz moves out into a comfortable range and is having success with a sharp one-two combo. Mixing in some flicking jabs, Mares is finding it difficult to get inside and is being forced by the movement of Santa Cruz to jump in a bit, risking it all, selling out. It's interesting to see Santa Cruz moving along the perimeter. 
rolling away from his opponent, and moving laterally, something that we do not see often from El Terremoto. We head to the seventh, and Santa Cruz is getting more aggressive moving forward. As we are used to seeing him, but he takes it one step too far, and Mares fires a right check hook that knocks Santa Cruz off balance, and Mares pops him with two follow-up punches. Santa Cruz regains his composure and closes the sun with smooth inside combinations. But Mares is right there with him answering everything. The announcers are very pro. Santa Cruz. We head to the eighth, and Santa Cruz lands some heavy, crisp shots. Mares's fatigue may be affecting his punch resistance. Santa Cruz exploited it well in the eighth. Joe Tessitore, the hyperbole was in full effect. We are commercial free from here on out. Enjoy some free boxing for this Saturday night. Joe and his hyperbole, Teddy and his obsession with Santa Cruz's wrist. Oh dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Head to the ninth. Santa Cruz isn't jabbing in the ninth, and he looks to be a little bit tired, maybe taking a break. Mares has, a, has some bounce in his leg. Pep in his step and is signaling with the second wind. He is aggressive again, but boxing smart at distance as well for the first time. Santa Cruz seems confused how to handle the change of tactic from Mares. The fighters close in a vicious exchange. We head to the 10th, and Santa Cruz is boxing well in the 10th. Mares is cut again by a headbutt, but the blood is covering the right side of the face, and Santa Cruz exploits the distraction and peppers the right side of Mares's face. Mares is forced to sell out and lands a leaping left, causing Santa Cruz to go into a shell. Santa Cruz rises out with two hard shots inside that rock Mares's head back. We head to the 11th, and Mares is smothering Santa Cruz, but is laying on him more than he's hitting him with solid shots. There's a lot of holding and grappling in the 11th. Mares takes a solid 1-2-3 from Santa Cruz that pops his head back on a swivel. Santa Cruz is more effective in the 11th. And to close the fight, in grand fashion in the 12th, both fighters finish strong. My scorecard, Leo Santa Cruz, 115 to 113. The judges, 117, 111 times two. 114 to 114, a draw. Leo Santa Cruz, by way of majority decision. 117, 111 presupposes this, because look, the way I see this is, is that it, it came off pretty clear to me that Mares won the first two rounds. So what that's telling me is, is that for the remaining rounds of this fight, that Mares only, only won one more round for the entire fight. And that is where I have a problem because I just don't see it that way. You know, Mares he struggled with accuracy. A lot of his stuff was kind of diving in, head down, flailing. He, he wasn't jabbing. Santa Cruz certainly took control of, of the fight around round five. But that reemergence in the ninth round alone, so that so what are you telling me is 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 that? Are those the three rounds right there? I highly doubt it. The judges only agreed on on four of the rounds. Which is a little strange considering the fact that two of them had nine three scorecard. Um you know, at the end of the day, I think it was pretty clear that Santa Cruz won. I mean, I'm not gonna sit here 
and pretend and you know say it was a travesty and blah blah blah. The, it was close on the scorecards because of the way that Mares opened that fight. I mean, it was a tactic that I don't think anybody could have expected, really. Um, you know, and truth be told is is that I don't think that Santa Cruz, and according to his his post fight interview, you know, he had no idea that Mares was going to come out like that. But at the end of the day, you know. I guess Mares thought he had to volume punch with a volume puncher. And what ended up happening was is that he just got out physical, you know. Um, Mares is small. Yeah, five foot four. I mean, he's a natural bantamweight fighting at featherweight. Santa Cruz has been chomping at the bit to get up to featherweight. Five foot seven and a half, long, rangy, lanky. You know, Santa Cruz showed some really tried and true boxing skill. Um, solid boxing skill in this fight. And I give him credit for that. You know? I mean, it was very, very impressive to see him box in more of a natural way. You know, his his power left me wanting. You know, honestly, I, I know fighters struggle sometimes to carry their power with them up through the ranks, but somebody who's struggling to make weight that wasn't necessarily a devastating punching power you know, at, at super bantamweight or junior featherweight, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, at 122 pounds. I mean, personally, I thought that Santa Cruz would be stronger. Uh, Mares certainly showed that he's one tough SOB. Um, there is <laughs> absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. You know, the punch stats, I don't know. I mean, they seem a bit ridiculous. I know a ton of punches were thrown in this fight. But Mares was 7 for 194 in the jab department. I mean, that is outrageous. Saying that he connected on 23% of his punches and only landed 7 jabs and threw 980 total. Santa Cruz throwing at a 35% clip. I don't know. I didn't see a very accurate punch fight. CompuBox is typically uh, pretty accurate. I mean, this was kind of a fast-paced you know, hands flying 100 miles an hour. Sometimes Santa Cruz struggled on the inside. In those flurries, Mares would go rapid fire inside and it almost looked like Santa Cruz would tuck his chin down to his chest and, you know, he'd do the same thing. He'd just start firing out as fast as he could. Um, man, I tell you what, the announcers, once again, as is time and time and time again, uh, it is so unbelievably frustrating to me the sort of taste that gets left in my mouth after watching a fight where this this quote from Joe Tessitore you know, sort of said it all. Leo Santa Cruz was at his very best world class. Mara's gave a spirited performance. <laughs> what? This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen. This is exactly precisely what happens when an announcer that is calling a fight who is supposed to be an observer, he's there to observe and report and relay what is going on in the ring. This is what happens when the announcer who is tasked to observe and report to call the fight spends the entire lead up to the fight telling everybody that Leo Santa Cruz is going to win. He has been... Teddy Atlas has been 
pro Leo Santa Cruz since ESPN began oversaturating and fulfilling the premium platinum plus Southeast Conference SEC pay-per-play Heyman contract that they have to fulfill, that Heyman is paying top dollar for, that requires the top 75% of ESPN boxing articles to be all PBC puff pieces. Um, it started there. I mean, it, it started back Cotto Canelo's press conference, even as far back a few weeks ago to the Triple G Lemieux press conference. That's how far back it started. When these mega events are about to be unleashed on the public, the excitement, the ticket sales, the record-breaking pre-sales at Madison Square Garden, all these things, Cotto Canelo being made, the rabid fan response at these live, live press conferences, and yet you have to scroll down past five or six articles about Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Morris to get down to articles about four, and most certainly, you know, a lot of people have Canelo, Cotto, and of course, Triple G, at least Triple G, on his own in their pound-for-pound lists. And you're trying to tell me that these four monsters of the middleweight division, yeah, they call Cotto a junior middleweight, um, that these guys are somehow reduced to, you know, page fodder, the bottom of the barrel, the footer, the footer line on ESPN.com's boxing page. Give me a break. But this goes to the way they invoked the greatest Mexican fighters of all time in the lead-in. The fight was billed as the debut of the next great Mexican fighter will emerge victorious. They go through the great Mexican fighters of all time, you know? They go through them all. All the way up to Julio Cesar Chavez, to Juan Manuel Marquez. Hey, just casually skip right past Canelo Alvarez. Let's erase that part of history that's going on as we speak and move right on to Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Mars. Because after all, <laughs> the fight is for the title of the next great Mexican fighter. What an absolute pile of horseshit and lies that intro was. These two guys cannot even remotely sniff the level of stardom that Canelo is in the middle of and climbing. They cannot even possibly relate. Let me put this into context for you. Jake Donovan, the managing editor, editor or whatever of BoxingScene.com, writes these, these positive spin pieces on viewership for the PBC constantly. Um, telling us about how the, you know, uh, the 1.217 million, so the 1.2 million average viewers for Santa Cruz Mares was this, oh, record-breaking thing, the biggest boxing viewership since 1998 on ESPN. Well, okay, let's put this into context, right? ESPN's been operating, for the most part, at least in recent history, Friday Night Fights, on these fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 budgets, where... Unless you're an absolute degenerate like myself and a lot of the listeners of this show who watches these, you might get a diamond in the rough every once in a while, but mostly it's kind of like journeymen versus bums, guys with like four or five losses going up against guys that are like four and 15 with a dinky budget. And so you're touting this as a huge win for the PBC. 
because there was 1.2 million viewers in front of a potential audience of over 100 million, and yet Canelo Alvarez, this Mexican rising megastar, who was so casually and deliberately, mind you, deliberately, you know it was deliberate, was just, eh, we're just going to kind of just scan right past Canelo and not mention this. Canelo, in his last fight, he didn't have an Abner Mares and a Leo Santa Cruz. It wasn't this for Mexican supremacy or anything like that. This was Canelo Alvarez in a baseball stadium in Houston against James Kirkland. Canelo Alvarez sells 30,000 tickets, okay? Does over 2 million views on HBO out of a, out of a potential 30 million households. This fight does 1.2 million in a potential of 100 million households. Canelo Alvarez, 30,000 in attendance. Okay? Jake Donovan writes in his piece, it was a packed house at 13,000, even though the capacity for Staples Center for Boxing is 21,000. So it was only filled to 60% capacity. Not only that, but it was a third of the amount that was at Canelo's last fight. 30,000, 13,000. Two and a half million viewers, 1.2 million viewers. Do the math. We know who the Mexican superstar fighter is. Leo Santa Cruz has had one real fight in his entire career, and it was this one. And don't take my analysis in all of this as anything more than the truth. Because Leo Santa Cruz Abner Mares was a really good fight. I mean, it was exciting. I had a great night watching it. Turned the volume way down so I didn't have to listen to the yelling and screaming hyperbole all evening. And I really enjoyed it. Took a lot of notes, as you could tell by my fight recap. Really enjoyed it. You know? It's an exciting fight. It's an exciting night of fights. Julio Seja, Hugo Ruiz before it. An unexpected turn of events in that one. Um... But to just rush everybody at ESPN, everybody that's on the payroll of Al Heyman, you know, they all just like rush to instruct the audience that this is the best, that this is the greatest, that it's the only time you'll ever see it, that it, that, that you'll never see anything like this again, all time, forever, until next week. Just like the Marco Hook, Christoph Glavatsky fight, the same thing. They told us that was the greatest thing, the greatest round. Danny Jacobs versus Sergio Moore. The greatest round you'll ever see. Blibbity blah blah, blibbity blee. It's nonsense. I just want the truth. And the truth is, man, it was an exciting night of fights. And that's a win. That is a win. But the PBC can't, they can't take that. They have to build this to the hopeful, casual fan who thought he was tuning into PBA bowling and instead got PBC boxing to convince them that this is epic and what you are witnessing is something you will never see before. This is like landing on Mars. I just want what it is and what it, what it was. And what it was was a really good, fun evening of fights. Teddy Atlas says he figured out something nobody's ever seen before. He couldn't believe it. Leo Santa Cruz spinning twisting his right wrist. Teddy, he's been doing this since we first saw him, and boxing heads have been talking about this forever. 
forever. But you know what? Teddy repeatedly shows us that he doesn't have a very broad knowledge of who's who in this sport. But then again, the PBC is not for you. It's not for me. It's for the casual fan who could care less about Leo Santa Cruz and his wrist. So as far as they're concerned, Teddy's on to something. <laughs> uh, the undercard fight. Let's get to this real quick. We'll take a break, and then we will bring it home here on episode 70 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Julio Seja versus Hugo Ruiz. We head to the first. Ruiz is upright and patient. Seja is a very rigid in his upper torso. When he bends at his shoulders, he bends at his knees, causing his center of gravity to be towards his chest. He's very top-heavy. Look kind of clumsy. Deja, uh, <clears throat> Seja connects a few heavy left hooks, but Ruiz sneaks in a big uppercut, snapping Seja backwards. We head to the second, and Seja's coming forward on Ruiz, but not letting his hands go. His jab didn't show up at all at this point. Seja gets Ruiz on the ropes, but isn't punching, so Ruiz just flings out three-punch combos and rolls out of harm's way. We head to the third round. Hugo Ruiz is patient. Seja leans in with the right, falling forward and whiffing, leaving his chin on a silver platter. Ruiz sends a perfect power volley, left spinning Seja to the canvas. Seha holds on for dear life. We head to the fourth, and Seha is more active in this round, but really puts himself in danger the way he comes in. Overall, I give it to him. A much, much better round. And then we head to the fifth. Seha throws away a big right. Ruiz is in much closer than he is comfortable being. We saw Ruiz operating comfortably at distance, and he got too close, and he overcommitted, and he got caught by a follow-up left hook, and gets dropped. Ruiz looks stunned. Ruiz gets up but cannot hold on as Seha overwhelms him, and the referee calls off the fight. Julio Seha, by way of fifth-round knockout. <laughs> uh, Joe Tessitore screaming like a prepubescent boy, voice scratching and screeching. The appetizer to a championship fight. Man, it was a good night of boxing. It really was. It was fun. I didn't order the Mosley Mayorga pay-per-view. Um, I didn't really want to spend $60 on you know a fight that it was pretty evident during the promotion that Mayorga you know, was there to get paid and be a part of a, you know, basically be the sideshow to this entire thing, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> You know, that's what he was there for. Um, so I'm not going to hate too much, but I didn't order that fight. But I did watch it the very, very next day. And um, I do have a fight recap for you. But before I get to this recap of Mosley versus Mayorga 2, and we visit the Ukraine for a breakdown of the number eight ranked prospect on theboxingrant.com's return to the ring. Alexander Usyk squared off against Johnny Mueller at the Sports Palace in Kiev, Ukraine. We'll get to that, some news and notes. But before we do, I'd like to take this time to thank my sponsor. Looking to maximize your sports betting bankroll? Then sign up with betonline.ag today and claim an exclusive 75% bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code 
boxing rant. And up to $1,000 worth of sportsbook free plays will be credited to your account instantly. Once you're in on the action, you'll see firsthand why betonline.ag receives an A grade. Bonuses on every qualifying deposit, the earliest opening odds in the industry, state-of-the-art live betting software, the highest parlay and teaser payouts on the planet, odds on football, hoops, baseball, MMA, boxing, and just about every other sport. That's just a small sample of what is waiting for you at betonline.ag. Thanks to a large list of banking options, including credit cards, getting your account up to speed only takes a few minutes. Most importantly, when it comes time to get paid, your winnings will always be delivered on time. Remember, to score your 75% bonus, use promo code BOXINGRANT. That's promo code BOXINGRANT. Sign up at betonline.ag today. Because you can. And the truth is, folks, I've been using Bet Online for five, six years, and I can tell you right now, I've had a blast. They have a great mobile app. You can get it on the action college football, the NFL, baseball playoffs, basketball and hockey firing back up. You know, tis the season. So uh, get you an account on betonline.ag, promo code boxing rant. All right. Let's get to the forum in Inglewood, California. Sugar Shane Mosley versus Ricardo Mayorga, part two. <laughs> From Inglewood. Inglewood, always up to no good. The pre fight antics, the slapping of the cigarette, the grabbing of Mosley's girl's ass, and of course, the weigh in, or as they said, the weight in on the poster, where during the stare down, Mosley's girl dumps a bottle of water on uh, Mayorga's head. He didn't flinch. It was so WWF, uh, to all the young listeners out there, WWE. Um, but it was great. It was bizarre. I mean, and then you get to the weight, right? You get to the weigh-in, and it is just so perfect. The opening weight limit, the, I guess the, <laughs> the catch weight, the, hey, let's try to make this weight. Of 158 pounds, both fighters missed it. So a new weight of 166 pounds was agreed upon. <laughs> Why that arbitrary number, you say? Why eight pounds heavier? Why almost, uh, you know, a full weight class heavier? Well, because Mayorga weighed in at 165 pounds. So they had to make the limit just above what he weighed. Um, but who cares, right? It was all about the entertainment. There were ring card girls and the, or bikini clad girls in the middle of the ring with inflatable gloves fighting each other. Um, techno groups playing music in the ring in between action. <laughs> uh, the fight itself, you know, it wasn't bad. Six rounds. Mayorga tried to make it interesting with his floppy, flabby body, uh, old droopy boobs. Mayorga in the third round drops his hands down to his side, clenches his neck muscles as tight as he can, and braces for impact from Mosley. <laughs> the liver shot in the sixth does the deal. And Sugar Shane Mosley comes out victorious. Victorious. And improves to 48-9-1. The future Hall of Famer says that he once fights against Kell Brook. Juan Manuel Marquez, 
He wants to take his GoBox promotions places, but more than that, he wants to keep on trucking. If there was a senior circuit, I'd follow it. You know, as long as it was free, put that on the PBC. Probably be more entertaining than ninety percent of the fights on there. Um, but come on, I mean, look—he looked like he was in good shape, but there's no way in hell that a forty-three-year-old Shane Mosley, who looked like he was in tip-top shape, who who barely came in at the middleweight limit, is making one forty-seven again. Not a chance in hell. And you're not going to get Juan Manuel Marquez to come up past 147. I mean, he had to forge a relationship with Memo Heredia to get to 147 and flatline Pacquiao. So that ain't happening. Um, So stay at junior middleweight. Stay at middleweight. Hell, Mosley versus the winner of of Triple G and and Lemieux. Hey, why not? Why not? Mosley's still got some pop in in his hooks, but does he still have the chin? I don't know. I mean, maybe he does the Roy Jones Jr. thing. Just kind of goes and parades through random states and fights. Like, goes to North Carolina and boxes or, you know, goes to the Baltic states and in and, uh, Western Europe and, and fights. Who knows? Who knows? Either way, he said he wants to continue his promotion. Um, so, hey, good luck to him. We'll see what happens. All right. Let's go ahead and keep ourselves in the uh, former Soviet Union. And... We go to the Sports Palace in Kiev, Ukraine, where the number eight ranked prospect, as rated by, yes, that's right, theboxingrant.com, Oleksandr Usyk, the 2012 heavyweight Olympic gold medalist, which is the equivalent to cruiserweight in professional boxing, now holds the title of WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight Champion. Entering the fight 7-0, and with seven knockouts. Much the same progressed, pro-rated advancement as his fellow countryman and fellow savant, Vasily Lomachenko. Now, Lomachenko got a title shot, a full title shot, in his second fight. Um, Usyk is of the same ilk, 410 amateur record. You can find a great article on Alexander Usyk as I outline his pedigree, his amateur background, his skill set and kind of talk about his future in the cruiserweight division. You can find that article at theboxingrant.com. So let's get to the action. Alexander Usyk versus Johnny Mueller for the WBO Intercontinental Cruiserweight title. The first round in a packed house, mind you, in the Sports Palace. Usyk comes out shifty bobbing side to side out of reach. A moving target difficult to hit as the South African challenger attempts to find him with a lead left jab. Mueller tries to shoot for the body and is met with two hard counter shots down the middle from Usyk. The Ukrainian gold medalist fires his jab up and down, changing levels, distracting Mueller with a variety of levels and angles. Usyk is spry on his feet. We head to the second. Usyk continues with the jab. He mixes in the body shot well as he looks to set up his power shots. The lead right hook is unveiled to the challenger, mixed in between three and four jab combinations. At one point, Usyk drops his left guard for just a split second as he tries to send out a jab and catches a straight right in return. It's the only punch of consequence landed by the South African Mueller so far in these two rounds. Usyk is moving well around the ring displaying boxing skills, 
in this second round. We move to the third. And it opens with a more shifty boxing from the Ukrainian stylist. Usyk is picking Mueller apart with his jab. When halfway through the third, he slides out to his right while jabbing and sends out a thudding fadeaway left hook to Mueller's body. Momentarily freezing him, the crowd begins to chant, Usyk, Usyk, Usyk. Usyk leans in with the right. First, it's deflected by a flailing guard, and then he follows with a heavier throwaway right. And behind it comes a monstrous left hook that crashes to the chin of Mueller and drops him to the canvas. Mueller is up quickly, and Usyk is waiting with a double left hook upstairs. Right hook to the body, followed by a left hook that drops Mueller for the second time. Mueller is up quickly again, but his face shows the damage of the two previous knockdowns. But again, he opts to continue. Straight left, right hook. Straight left, right, left hook. Mueller is waning. A left hook uppercut and one, two, three down the middle. Mueller is trying to escape. Left hook, left uppercut. Mueller is against the ropes and a left hook comes to the head, followed by a right to the body and an uppercut splits the guard. Right, left, right, and a left uppercut finishes it as referee Ingo Barabas stops the fight. Alexander Usyk by way of stylistic, devastating third-round knockout. The future is bright for Alexander Usyk. The Southpaw standing six foot three. I foresee this potential star debuting in the United States sooner than one might think, promoted by K2 Promotions. Could he be on the undercard? of a Klitschko fight. Could they bring him over here on a Triple G undercard? Time will tell, but Alexander Usyk is the truth. And if you don't know much about him, what I speak is the truth about this guy. He's the real deal. He's the goods. He's big. He's powerful. He's shifty. He can box. He breaks you down. He's purposeful, deliberate, stylistic, and precise. Alexander Usyk does the deal. Eight no, eight knockouts. All right, let's get to some news and notes, and we'll close out episode 70 of the Pound for Pound King of Boxing Podcasts, the tale of the tape. Kell Brook versus Diego Chavez is official October 24th at the Motor Point Arena in his home town of Sheffield, England. Brook will defend his IBF welterweight championship belt against the rugged Rugged Diego Chavez, the Argentine. This will be a good measuring stick for Brooke. Brooke has been given a bit of criticism since winning his 147-pound strap from Sean Porter last year at the StubHub Center. Um, you know, Keith Thurman has been kind of a measuring stick for Brooke. They're compared to each other because, you know, outside of Mayweather and a healthy Pacquiao, I mean, Brooke and Thurman are the, you know, they're the shit. Um, so this will be a good measuring stick because Thurman stopped Chavez. So we'll have to wait and see. But we are hearing that this will be part of a co-feature, co-feature, Brooke versus Chavez double header. Brooke versus Chavez, Klitschko Fury, Day of Boxing, October 24th. 
Good day of boxing in Europe. No doubt about it. You know, as part of this Brooke Chavez inevitability, Timothy Bradley's name was brought up as a potential opponent for Kell Brook. Brandon Rios, I don't know if this was posturing. I don't know if this was them trying to, their managers, promoters, I mean, they have the same promoter, trying to leverage to get the most money for the fight. But Steve Kim from UCN Live said last night on the Next Round podcast that November 7th at the StubHub Center, Bradley, Timothy Bradley versus Brandon Rios is a real possibility. And if that happens, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday. Um, always a good birthday weekend for fights, I tell you. You know? Always, always, always. Um, Vasily Lomachenko, rumored to be tabbed in the co-feature. Timothy Bradley versus Brandon Rios. Vasily Lomachenko versus whoever. That is a great, great birthday present. I will enjoy that one, no doubt about it. Mayweather versus Birdo. I'll be previewing Mayweather versus Birdo all next week with the help of Michael Woods from thesweetscience.com and ringtv.com. Boxing writer with great insight and analysis will join me to help me preview Mayweather versus Birdo. And also Michael Montero from Montero on Boxing will join the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Looking forward to having both of those respected boxing minds on to talk about the uh, C'est la vie for Senor Mayweather. Mayweather versus Petro. Tickets are still available. Leonard Ellerby was asked approximately how many tickets remain. I don't see why that would be a concern about how many tickets are sold. <laughs> oh, man, that is a perfect response. You guys always get your way, don't you? Well, guess what? Nobody really cares about this fight. It's a good undercard. It's still overpriced. They should have charged 50 bucks for this. But somebody's got to foot that $32 million price tag. Man, what is left after Showtime pays Mayweather $32 million? You know, George Groves and Badu Jack are both getting like comps at the at the roulette table. They both get like buffet tickets. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Well, fingers crossed that they sell all their tickets. Yeah, right. Oh dear, oh dear. Andy Lee versus Billy Joe Saunders is postponed again. Originally, it was going to take place in Limerick, Ireland. Then it was reported Andy Lee had a virus, was moved to October in England. Why would they move it if he just had a virus? Well, rumor had it that the tickets were not selling well in Ireland, so that's why they moved it. Well, now Billy Joe Saunders has a cut, and this fight will not go on. It's postponed. The vacant, recently stripped WBO junior middleweight title fight will take place. The belt stripped from Demetrius Andrade, who tried to play his promoters and get paid by Jay-Z. Oh, what a cluster. You know what that is. A cluster. You know exactly what. Um, but a fight for the vacant title between Liam Smith and Boxino champion John Thompson will go on as scheduled. It was supposed to be Michel Soro. Michel Soro looked really impressive in his last fight. But 
nonetheless, Michel Soro was injured. Next man up, John Thompson, who just steamrolled through the Boxino tournament. Really, really, he would like bring his art pieces out to the ring with him. Like he would bring like canvases. Like he would like have these visions and like paint these like these like really cool paintings. And then he'd have like his cornermen instead of like carrying the you know the belts over their head, they'd bring his painting out to the ring with them. Um, I'm actually rooting Liam Smith and the Fighting Smiths. Yeah, I mean I'm a fan of Callum Smith. Um, I'll preview this fight. Yeah, I'll talk more about this as it approaches. Um, Felix Verdejo, the number one ranked prospect here on the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast and the Boxingrant.com. Having his surgically repaired hand checked by a doctor in Puerto Rico, and then we will know more about the announcement of his next fight. I await this eagerly. I cannot wait until this kid gets back in the ring. And let's just hope that this is not a chronic deal with his hands. Fingers crossed. Um, no pun intended. Uh, Luis King Kong Ortiz will remain on the pay-per-view portion of Golovkin versus Lemieux's undercard. He offered to fight to Bryant Jennings, but he wanted a million dollars. Golden Boy was like, uh, you just lost your last fight, and you don't ever fight. Like, you fight twice a year. You don't have any amateur pedigree, and you fight like, you know, a moonlighting champion riding off into the sunset. So, no, you don't get a million dollars. You want a million dollars? You can go fight Chris Ariola on the PBC, and maybe you will. Maybe you will. But um, it's a dangerous fight, Luis Ortiz. Don King blocked Berman Stavern from the fight. Golden Boy has a guy that's rated in the top 15 of the WBA. Not their first choice, obviously. But I'm telling you right now, I've been talking about King Kong Ortiz. I made a comment on a previous episode of the Tale of the Tape where I said that Luis Ortiz is the most dangerous heavyweight in the division. And he is, because Anthony Joshua has not reached the potential. My friends in the U.K., would say some of that is hype. Regardless, what my analysis of future world beater, future world champion, or the hype job status that some over there have given him, either way, he hasn't proven either yet, right? Um, so he's not quite there. Luis Ortiz, a grown-ass man. And if they just throw a top 15 ranked heavyweight in the ring with him, it won't last longer than two rounds. My boy is dangerous. Dangerous. But an announcement's coming soon. And, oh, my favorite, favorite person in the whole world. Uh, the parrot. Al's side piece. Pauli Malinaggi returning for a six-rounder in Milan, Italy, September 26th. Um, I don't know. When I read this, it just kind of reminded me of... I actually went to Milan one time. I didn't go there for vacation. Um, I didn't go there for work. I didn't go there for shopping. Um, I stopped over in Milan on my way to Afghanistan back in 2002, August of 2002. Um, flew from New York on a commercial airliner with about 200 soldiers dressed in full, full desert battle rattle. Um, Kevlar vests, ready to rock. And... Yeah, at that time, eh, the U.S. government and our allies didn't exactly want to let on to, you know, these 
crazy terrorists out there that uh you know any any details of 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 troop movements so we flew commercial didn't get out of the plane sat in milan for a day inside of a of a pretty badass airplane and then flew to manus kyrgyzstan stayed in kyrgyzstan on the foothills of the himalayan mountains for two weeks and then took the uh roller coaster ride flight in a c-130 sitting in a cargo net um freezing my ass off and uh, a wild ride into Kandahar, Afghanistan. So that was just, I saw Milan. Haven't thought about Milan, Italy since, well, now, 13 years ago. Wow. How time flies by, and I am old. So that will do it for episode 70 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape on iTunes. And leave a review. We appreciate the flattering reviews received from our friends in Europe. You guys rock. And it's always great to get feedback from the listeners of the Boxing Rant, the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, Sports Rant Radio. Um, It's much appreciated. So please subscribe to the Tale of the Tape. And when you do, leave us a review. It'd be much, much appreciated. The show notes for this episode uh, will be available at theboxingrant.com backslash podcast. And in those show notes will be links to all of our social media accounts where you can subscribe to the tale of the tape, all of that. Um, so you guys can visit Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. Follow, like, subscribe. And that is where all of the updates of new YouTube videos, because that is going to kick off and it's going to be full steam ahead with the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. I'm really, really excited about that. And uh, I hope all of you out there are too. So you can look for updates on the Facebook page. Just search The Boxing Rant and like the page. Like it or not, more from The Boxing Rant is coming at you. There's just no avoiding it (laughs) at this point. Because it is full speed ahead here at theboxingrant.com. And the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. No doubt about it. Big up to our sponsor, betonline.ag. Get that promo code, BOXINGRANT, and get your 75% bonus at betonline.ag. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Drop me a line, podcast at theboxingrant.com Hit me up on Twitter at theboxingrant We're just a few days away from episode 71 and a reminder every Monday and Thursday moving forward brand new episodes of the Pound for Pound King a boxing podcast and I'd like to thank all of the loyal listeners out there once again for tuning into the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on theboxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.